This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. We have a special guest this week, a guest who's not Bill Real, that is. I've spoken to Bill Real a couple times on Mormon Awakenings. This week we have our first non-Bill Real guest. His name is Tyler Bruff. He's a very smart guy. By day, he's a professor of finance and economics at Utah State University in Logan, where he lives. He moonlights as a reader of Zen, reader of the scriptures, father, husband, lifelong Mormon. He's lived long enough to have some real experiences. He's able to articulate his experiences. So I'm so pleased to have as a guest this week, Tyler Bruff. Tyler, welcome. Yeah, let me just say thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a real honor. I've, I've uh, been super impressed with your podcast, and it's, it's actually come to mean a lot to me. So I'm very grateful to be on. Well, thank you, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've really enjoyed your emails and your, your thought processes. I, so I'm really looking forward to some of the things that you have to say. Yeah, maybe let me just start by giving you a little bit of background about who I am. Not not too much. I don't want to bore Absol- you. Absolutely. Um, so I I would say that I grew up um, not far from where I live now in Logan. I lived I grew up down in Davis County. Had a very traditional Mormon upbringing, and um, I would say uh, just a wonderful life as as a young person. You know, mm-hmm. um, growing up in a conventional Mormon family and a Mormon uh, community and uh, you know, uh, pretty, pretty standard Mormon, uh, upbringing. And it, it was just wonderful in every way. Um, I, I, and I've been, been very grateful to Mormonism for that, uh, for that background and history. And it's meant all the, everything in my life. Um, I sort of jotted down a few ideas about, you know, a few important events in my young life that, uh, were kind of foundational for me. Um, at age 14, when I was a teacher, we had this uh, teacher's quorum advisor who was just amazing, and he would come with the most uh, wonderful lessons, and, and I still remember to this day what the topic was. It was um, Acts chapter 3, when Peter goes back into Jerusalem, and he's, he's just uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's testifying. You know, this is after all of his experiences. So Peter goes back into Jerusalem and he's just filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he sees the guy asking alms and he looks directly at him and says, look upon me, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk, takes him by the hand and immediately heals him. And Mm -hmm. I just, this guy was just a, he was just a, you know, he's kind of an inspiring teacher. And I just had an amazing I, you know, I would call it today, I would call it a mystical experience. It was like, it was like someone lifted up the top of my head and put in knowledge. You know, I didn't hear anything. I didn't have a vision, but there was just this, this phrase that, that reverberated in my mind, you know, that Jesus is the Christ and you've heard an apostle testify of that. And it, that was foundational. I went home and I talked to my dad and he's like, well, that's the beginning of your testimony. And that's been foundational for me. It's, it's given me a background to rely upon when other things have, you know, been challenging or difficult. And I look back at that and it gives me, gives me a foundation. Mm. Um, so another thing that I'll tell you is that when I was at uh, age 17 in high school, um, I was not a good student, but I did love to read. In fact, one time I told my mom that I had to drop out of high school because it was interfering with my education. Um, <laughs> but... Um, my uncle had given my dad um, uh, the book, The Truth, The Way, and the Life, that was produced by Farms. It had, you know, I don't know if you know that book by B.H. Roberts, but mm. it had languished, uh, was unpublished for decades because of some disputes that B.H. Roberts had with the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency about some scientific issues that he put in there. He, he thought it was very important to put in about um, evolution yeah, and, and these kinds of things, and in particular, Joseph F. Smith disagreed with him. But the, and he he was interested not to in, interrupt, but he was yep. interested as well in um, seeking out uh, physical evidence for Book of Mormon history. Historicity. That, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And he started um, doing this at the 
this is the early 1900s we started thinking about this? That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. As, as, as far as I know, the, yep. uh, but what was, what was wonderful about that book is that it, there was like 10 or 12 maybe essays at the back of the book that were written by BYU and other, you know, Mormon, Mormon scholars. And, um, I, I wish I could remember who the, the author of this particular chapter, but it discussed the history of the book. Mm. And in particular, the debate between B.H. Roberts and some of the others, most particularly um, Joseph Fielding Smith. Mm. And Joseph Fielding Smith, I think at the time, was the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. Of course, later he became the prophet. And I saw almost a, just a bitter rivalry. Mm. And, and, you know... So um, this, was, this was Joseph F. must have been Joseph F. Smith. Um, I mean, they're whichever both one, Whichever one's the son. Oh, always, son, yeah. Get, so the son, I, the son was Joseph. Yeah, the the son was Joseph Fielding Smith. Yeah. who uh, who became prophet at a very advanced age in the late sixties. I want to say. I think that's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So this the, is Joseph Fielding Smith. I think that's right. The way I try okay. to remember that is that F stands for father. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that's my mnemonic device. But um, I, anyway, it was it was interesting as a seventeen year old who was living a very standard Mormon life to see this almost just, um, I wouldn't say hateful, but bitter, bitter mm. rivalry between these men. And, you know, in, in my book, uh, you know, I, I thought, and I kind of still think that Joseph Fielding Smith kind of came off like a bully. Oh. And, and so, you know. Not, what, Christ, not Christian charitable behavior as right. we sort of in, uh, Moroni 10. Sort of uh, very authoritarian, um, mm. and what was interesting was would, would would try to avoid public debates with B. H. Roberts because B. H. Roberts wasn't very retiring personality and yeah. really knew his stuff. Um, but you know, so when I would come to general conference and I'd see our leaders, and I would think back to this story and think, okay, well, it, not everything is the way we see it all the time. Behind the scenes, yeah. there's there's real human, um, you know, messiness in the affairs of our lives and in the institution of the church. And yeah. so that, that kind of helped me at an early age to have some grounding to think about some, you know, nuance and how we deal with these things. Mm. Um, so let me, let me mention one last thing. Um, so, so, that, so the first experience was at age 14. The second was, was at 17 when I read this B.H. Roberts thing. The, the third thing I'll mention about my young Mormon life was um, I was going to vote on, I think it was on the very day of my 18th birthday. Okay. Mm. I was, I was turning 18 and I was going to get to vote and I was excited about this. I was, I was taking, I was a senior at this time. I was taking AP economics and, um, that turned out to be pivotal. I, I, uh, I became eventually an economist and, um, mm. that, that, that has mattered a lot in my life. But I remember sort of thinking, okay, well, who do I vote for? I don't know anything about politics. And I asked my folks and they said, well, we're Republican. And I, I'd say why. And they, my dad gave me some answer about how we believe in, you know, self-sufficiency and things like this and mm. personal responsibility. But that, I didn't really know what distinguished parties. And one day my mom had sent me to the grocery store to pick up some bread or milk or something for dinner. And I turned on the, the public radio station. And um, with, the, with the upcoming election, they were doing some interviews. <clears throat> and they interviewed the, I think he was the head of the Utah Libertarian Party. Huh. And I thought to myself, okay, Libertarian Party, that sounds like a weird word. I, I, still, <laughs> think, I still think it sounds like a made-up word, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but all the other good words are chosen, I guess, so we have to go with it. And, and I thought this guy's going to be kooky, right? So I start listening to him. And by the time I'd gotten home, I parked the car in the driveway and listened for another minute or two and thought, how come everybody isn't libertarian? And, and, um, you know, so I I thought, I don't know what that stuff is, but that's what I am. And, you know, I, I, I would call myself a little L libertarian, not a big L libertarian, um, sort of. But I've always leaned that way politically since that young age, um, you know, and, and I became an economist that strengthened that. Um, yeah. But that also helped me to develop what I would say would, you know, some kind of healthy appreciation for um, not discounting authority, but taking into account the, you know, human nature when we look at people right. in positions of authority. And it gave, gave me sort of a healthy 
um, view of that. And that, yeah. that couldn't help but come into my Mormonism. And, you know, I found evidence for it all the time. You know, we're talking about agency and, you know, yeah. the Book of Mormon talks about you know, things to act and not be acted upon. And um, so that, you know, not that I want to get into politics, but that that helped inform my Mormonism and still does to this day. Mm. So, yep. <clears throat> certain level of independence. Well, like, a couple questions. I want to just, I, before we move on too far, I have a couple, couple questions. One is... Um, well, one observation, you couldn't have been that bad of a student because you're a professor right now, right? I mean, <laughs> well, so you, and you have a PhD, so... <laughs> yeah, I tell my students all the time that if they were to go back and talk to my teachers and ask, you know, what's the probability that Tyler will become a professor, that they would laugh you out of the room. Um, <laughs> but, you're, but you're, just for the record, you're a professor at Utah State yes. in, the, in the business school, the business economic school, I'm not sure what So I'm, I'm in the Department of Economics and Finance, and my PhD okay. is in finance, yep. Okay, excellent. So I just want to dispel any, you know, impressions that somehow you're a bad student. You must have been a good student. Anyways, <laughs> and then, and then you, you know, you mentioned something that I, I think is very compelling, um, but, but is also can be a, a vague expression, which is, you know, you knew that Jesus was the Christ or is the Christ or, or was your Christ. Right. And, and I'm, you know, I think we've um, often... I think many of us have felt that way, but what, but what, you know, I don't want to get all, you know, like I'm giving you a Bishop's interview, but, but what, you know, can you go into a little more depth of what that, what that yeah. means yeah. For, for you? you know? Right. So, and, and that has come to mean different things. So I've really loved some of the themes of Mormon Awakenings podcast, you know, building your own authority, taking personal responsibility, um, you know, focusing on non-dualistic thinking. And, you know, I've, I've, since your recommendation from whichever episode it was, I've been reading Richard Rohr on this idea about first and second half. Yeah, the Falling and, Upwards book. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. And so today, the way I would answer is that in the first half of my life, I just took that to mean what everybody was teaching me in Sunday school, you know, that right. that I needed the Savior for repentance and things like this. And yeah. um, in my second ha half of life, I'm learning to reinterpret that. Um, and I, I guess to, today I would say I'm not so willing to make concrete dualistic statements about what that means, other mm -hmm. than I had some, you know, mystical, unitive experience with God. Um, and I, I think there's sort of, uh, uh, you know, I've been listening also and reading Alan Watts a lot lately, and he talks about, um, uh, this idea of a deficiency model versus a wholeness model. That's not his language. I think I got that from somebody else, but he, he, he gives background for that way of thinking and that if we really, you know, and, and there's, there's uh, both of those sort of ideas about the atonement and about Christ exist within Mormonism. Yeah. Um, and I, and it, it may make, it may, uh, be worth spending a little time talking about the differences between those two because I think they're they're fundamental. I do too, yeah. And, and I think they also overlay um, nicely and cleanly between the first half and the second half of life. I think that's as, true. You know, yeah. as described by Richard Rohr. So, yep. What, what what do you you know just just for the sake of the listeners, what what do you mean when you say the deficiency model versus the the um, the whole? What, I'm, I'm sorry, was it wholeness, the whole model? Wholeness, wholeness model, model, maybe. Model. Yeah, yeah, complete model. Um, Complete model. I guess just the way I would see it is deficiency would mean that, you know, that somehow we identify with what the Book of Mormon calls the natural man, that we're weak beings, that, that yeah. you know, and th there's all these analogies about getting out of prison or getting yeah. out of debt and that the Savior comes and pays off your debt, that, that you're not whole, that somehow you're in yeah. bank spiritual bankruptcy or that, that, uh, that you're deficient in some way because you have these weaknesses, um, or because of sin, perhaps, or, or uh, something totally. that you've done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think you had a, a podcast about, you know, the, the language around commandment. I think, you know, your what, don't, uh, don't be clueless episode, which was wonderful. One of my favorites, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, and um, I think it's, it's kind of that. And, and it fits yeah. very well with that episode about, you know, learning to reinterpret those words. I think, you know, in a way... I would say it was pretty healthy in my first half of life because it gave me a solid moral founding and gave me a, a you know set of parameters within which to act. Yeah. 
And I, but I wasn't at that level at that age, I wasn't thinking deeply about God. I think, I think the older you get, you sort of go, well, look, if, if God created me, he put me here with these, you know, feelings and proclivities and in this position, and then he gives me commandments. Well, he sort of becomes a tyrant a little bit and, right. And you kind of become his, you know, his surf. Yep. And I think a lot of people at that transition from first to second half of life go, well, I'm done with that. You know, I don't, I don't want to believe in that kind of a God. And we find yep. that all over in the Old Testament. Yep. And, um, I and maybe they become atheists even. They, they I, say, I, so often, yeah, that's and, right. And I think in a sense they, they are, um, they are, I say they, but I think in a sense we all become, um, you know, atheists with a little a. Right. When we reject this this idea of the God that we've been taught, or or the God as we understood, you know, as we yep. say, as we've been taught, it sort of puts the blame on others. But you know, we we have limited understanding, and so we say, at some point in life, I think all of us say, well, the way that I understood God is is wrong, right? And 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 we stop believing in in that God, yeah. whatever that was. And for many of us, if it's it's this, you know, the as you mentioned, when we're younger, these sort of more black and white, um, yeah. stricter rules were, were helpful, but then they morph. They kind of yeah. become a virus and they morph. And so we reject that whole paradigm as being um, too encroaching on our lives and too controlling and, <laughs> and, yeah. and oppressive, yeah, frankly. Totally. So where, yeah. where is it, it once served us? And, and so we all kind of, it's freaky when you go through this, well, gee, you know, do I even believe in God at all? I mean, that's right. a hard question to ask yourself right. when you're in the throes. Because you, you, you think, well, I know that that God, that I, the way I understood it, what you're really saying is the way I understood that God is wrong. Right. But I think sometimes sub- subconsciously we're saying, we f- it feels like, oh, I don't believe in that God. And then it sort of leaves open this question, well, what do what? I believe in? Yeah. What, what do I believe in? Right. right. And that can, that can be a little scary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, that, so that's what's happened to me. And I, you know, it's not chronological because it's been off and on over the last decade. Yeah. I would say I've been stretching into my second half of life. Yeah. But there were definitely moments when I look back and go, well, so what did happen to me when I was 14 years old? I know, like, I know I wasn't just, you know, deluding myself that I wasn't yeah. smart enough to <laughs> have cooked that up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was experiential. Um, it was real. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, you know, after that experience, someone say, you believe in God, that'd be like asking me, you know, do I believe that cars exist or something? It's like, yeah, I see them. They're right there. I, I, yeah. had, I had felt God. But, you know, I was trained and taught and had this very dualistic, finite approach to God, which I think that is especially when, we, when we're talking about God, that's where dualistic binary thinking just really breaks down. And yeah. d- doesn't apply very well to the infinite. But you know, when you're 17, you're not, uh, or 14 even, you're not you're not reading Alan Watts and thinking about you know the meaning of God. You're sort of like, okay, there's this there's yeah. this loving person with the white beard in the sky, and and <laughs> right. and you know it's kind of comforting that he loves you. You can pray to him that he's you know yeah. re- revealed the the gospel to Joseph Smith and given us all the scripture, and we have all these you know apostles and teachers and family that love us. And it just, you know, like I say, just was a wonderful first half of life. But as you begin to learn about God and think about God at a deeper level, that quickly reaches its limits. Yeah. And it's comforting, I think, just to, to add on, and I, and I think you stated it exactly right, but it's comforting to think there is someone smarter than I am yeah. in this physical realm who who knows what's going on and right. they're going to sort of take care of the big issues while I grow up yep. while I you know learn how to yep. do algebra and learn economics and go to college you know there's things you just got to do you can't be thinking and running and doing all this stuff that the grown-ups are doing and yeah. it's nice when there's a, a group of old guys who can take care of that but it, but again it it it's not a um it's it's sort of a temporary fix, <laughs> right? Or right. or 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 it has a temporary role. I think that's I right. Think. I think that's well stated. Um, and you know, the any institutional church is going to be set up to build that paradigm, protect that paradigm, etc. So, I think a lot of people look at the the nature of the church and the, the human history that surrounds it and. 
when they start to get to that transition barrier between first and second half, they kind of go, well, I'm done with that garbage, you know, and I, um, you know, yeah. they, they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's easy. I think it's an easy thing to do to, you know, for, you know, as I think about your experience when you're 14, I, I don't want to speak for you certainly, but, but I think of other experiences that I've had that have been similar when I was younger, had strong spiritual experiences, you know, qu- you know, quote, testimony like experience testimony building type of experiences and i think we we have those in the context of reading something or being taught something by someone who is an elder yeah you know a wise man and then when we learn as you did when you were 17 that um some of those people are highly flawed right we think or or we develop ideas that are, you know, independent of those sort of shamanistic figures in our lives yeah. that that we know are contradictory with with some of the other things that they believe. You know, for example, your your instructor conveyed to you rightly the idea of Christ being a, a, a real being, a real force, a force of love, yeah. however you want to think about it. But then that person maybe always also taught things that you didn't agree with. And it's hard to it's hard to deconflate um, those ideas and hold and hold on to the one and reject the other. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I think that that can be a, that can be a difficult thing to do. That's true. Uh, well, at least that's true in my older years. When I was fourteen, the way I did it was I just didn't pay attention. You know, it was just yeah, right. Yeah. I was just and a, you, you defer. You defer. Yeah, when I was you're just younger. a clueless fourteen-year-old kid. I should also say, like, there was nothing really special about me. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't fasting and praying to have some spiritual experience. It just came like lightning out of heaven one day. You know, just I think came, I, yeah. I was a good kid. I trusted my parents. I tried to do the right thing. But, you know, at other times I was immensely bored with church and you yeah. know, didn't pay attention. And so when someone said something that was contradictory, I didn't, you know, it's not like I was like my head was exploding with cognitive dissonance when I went home. I just went home and made nachos or something. You know? Yeah, and ignored it, right? And you had other, you had bigger, you know, you had bigger things to do. That right high school when you're, when you're fourteen, and, yeah, yeah, right. Those are more important, right? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, I'll just that delve into the to the you know distinction for you enough. I mean, we didn't talk maybe uh, abs- enough, no, as, absolutely, absolutely as much yeah. about the wholeness model. And, but yeah, I think let, uh, right, the whole, that, right. That's where this all started. Yeah. Thanks for getting us back on track. Yeah. So we're back now to the wholeness model. Yeah. Um, and let's, yeah. So that there has, you know, I'm just, I'm just experimenting and learning that as I go. So, you know, I don't really, words are such a poor tool to talk about the feelings and thoughts I've had about this, but I'll do my best. Um, but you know, I was in, in elders quorum and I think we talked about this in through email a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about like, how do we come unto Christ and what does the atonement mean? And one of my neighbors was saying like, you know, uh, you know, improved people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And I said, well, wait a minute, you know, wh- what do you mean by forgiven? Like, yeah. what, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that you're thinking about this deficiency model where we have to get out of prison and someone has to pay our ransom or we're in debt and someone has to get us out of debt or prison? Um, or, or does it mean that, that you come from God a whole person and that you've sort of forgotten who you are and you need a reminder of that. So repentance is turning back to that, you know, you know, perfect person that you came to this earth as. And, yeah. And um, there's evidence for that way of thinking. Obviously, with you know, it's all throughout Mormonism um, that yep. that we were we're uh, we're created in God's image. Um, that the the natural man needs to be put off. Well, put off of what? The the you know, if you look yeah. at at your on your app for the scripture guide. And look up the word perfect, it'll say whole, complete. And, you know, then you can you can begin to conceive of human nature as coming from God as a whole and a complete being. And so, you know, one of the things yeah. we were talking about in this lesson is when Jesus says, be therefore perfect, you know, with all, I loved Elder Holland's talk about, you know, dot, 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 eventually. Yeah. But, but with all due respect, I think he's saying like, no, just remember who you are. You, you are perfect and whole and complete. And if you can calm down, be still, know that I am God, and if you act from that source of com- complete and wholeness within you, you're going to be filled with power, you know? And we have, and, we have yeah, metaphors you, for, and, like, and walking you, on water and stuff, you know? Yeah, and when you say he said that, you mean Christ was saying that, not that I, I, Elder yeah, Holland. Yeah, that's right. That Elder I, Holland was sort of missing 
not not to criticize elder. We're not, not in the business of right. No, I, I loved that talk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's right. So no, speaking for yeah, Jesus, he's saying like, just be complete. That's how you were made. That's who you are. Yeah, and and shake off this fake, um, you know, dis, not fake, but this this non-real shell you're carrying around. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that has, I think, to do with, you know, your themes on Mormon awakenings, and and that, and and you know. Uh, that's been a very powerful experience. This might be a good time to to morph into the conversation about my, you know, my Zen experience or whatever you want to call it. A- absolutely, let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. for so, sure. So, um, yeah, I want to give some background here too. I don't want to go too in depth because I don't want to bore anyone. But um, back uh, at the beginning of the year, I was asked to give a talk on for the strength of youth. In our stake, we're going to have this six-month program until youth conference where we have a monthly focus on for the strength of youth. And they did this, you know, cute thing where they cut off the TH and it's for the strength of you. And so it's oh. applying those those uh, principles and standards to everyone. And so I was, I was going to be like the lead-off um, speaker on this at the beginning of the year. And... I was I was actually abroad when I got the the invitation to do this, and so I had the whole flight home from I was in London. I had a I don't know, whatever that is a twelve hour flight, and mm. so I sat down and I pondered and um, and I thought, you know what, I'm I'm just not going to give the talk on this that you've heard six thousand times before, and that's kind of my model. When I give a lesson or a talk, I go, okay, what have they heard a thousand times? So then I know what not to do. <laughs> And, yeah. and I can, I can, you know, predict almost with 100% accuracy the same comments are going to be made almost by the same people, you know. You're and, right. and so I try to avoid that and teach, teach some new perspective because, you know, there's, there's so many layers and ways to conceive of things. And, yes. And I was, I was especially, uh, I've you know, been going through the New Testament and reading, and the theme that just hits you over the head is just how much Jesus was focused on what I would call the esoteric versus the exoteric. And he's just brutal to the Pharisees and scribes. Yeah. He calls them vipers and whited sepulchers and hypocrites and who who are the exo who are the paragons of exoteric life. Yeah, they're like they're like uber exoteric life. They're yeah. you know, if we remember why they were given the the mos the, the mosaic law, it was because they weren't they weren't prepared to live the the deeper meaning of the law and you know, what the Pharisees did over those, you know, dec- decades and centuries was like lift this this uh, law up onto a pedestal and make it everything. And yeah, and they were also very prideful. They were about, you know, we keep the law better than you. So there was this distinction and it was they were their hallmark was really spiritual pride about how well they keep the rules. Yes. Right. Um, self-righteous. I, self-righteous. And, and yeah. Using the law as a cudgel to sort of browbeat other people yeah. or to make themselves look better, however, however you want to look at it. Right. And I just had no interest in doing that. And I, mm. you know, as I was flying over, I remembered this quotation from Elizabeth Smart about, you know, when, do you remember who Elizabeth Smart is? She yep. was uh, this young yep. woman in, in Utah that was abducted by this crazy person and she was, you know, sexually yes. abused. Yeah. And in her in in her older life, she wrote a book or something, and I think I saw this on C-SPAN, and she was saying that some well-meaning person, I don't know the details, but I'm imagining some young woman, you know, t- uh, teacher, advisor, and had compared, uh, you know, human sexuality to, and pureness to a, a piece of gum, and that mm, and that yes. after this, you're a chewed piece of gum, and who would want that? And, you know, that that's just so divorced from the doctrine of Christ that I... That when you know that's a perfect example of how we become Pharisees in our own modern life. Yeah, and it illustrates this deficiency versus the to- wholeness model. Totally. Right? Yeah. Once you're once you're the chewed gum, you're immutably so. You're you've been transformed into this, you know, piece of garbage that you would toss on the sidewalk. Yeah, which is not yeah. an inspiring. Um, <laughs> not no. Not an not an inspiring message for young people, you know. And I I, I mean I don't want that taught to my young people. I've got five yeah, children, and, 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 I, I, and I don't I think, want that. Yeah, and I think not to interrupt, but I think our our understanding when I say you know the collective our you right. know if, yeah. our community. is that yeah. yeah our community that you know Jesus is going to come in and he'll say you know he'll make you an okay piece of chewed gum right you know we we don't even believe I, I, this is will sound harsh but I think that subconsciously many of us don't can't even accept the idea that 
that Jesus will convert us back into a unchewed piece of gum. Right, which, right. Know, again, we're lost in this whole deficiency model, but yeah. not only are we lost in the deficiency model, I, I believe, but we, but we then don't even like take it to its logical conclusions. And and I think the you know the ego, and the you know the natural man, however you want to think about, it, really can be oppressive that way. Totally. Where we just think of ourselves as this, as this you know chewed piece of gum that, that just it is garbage and i mean i th- i think that's a lot of our experience you know for for long periods of life we yeah. we feel that way yeah. anyways i'm sorry I, I cut you off no i think that's spot on and i think you know as as that model you know grows old and tires and 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 you get to that boundary between the first and second half of life you you go like this is tyrannical and it's oppressive yeah, this is oppress- and yeah. and we're we're institute we're institutionalizing guilt and shame and stress and anxiety and yeah. and we see evidence of this you know as a social scientist I would say we see evidence of this in our community yeah for and, sure and you know it's sad um, and and even and, and it, it and it is but but it's also sort of you know it's it's an interesting that you raise that I don't want to go digress too far but it's interesting that you raise that phenomenon because I, I you know if if a number of people are feeling that that way about being a chewed piece of gum and right. you know I, it it's it be you know our our collective spirit as an institution is going to be an aggregate of what we're kind of thinking and so in a, in a way it does you know we ought not be too hard on the church because because you know it's an aggregate of what of where we all are right that's, you know and, the, and that's how a, we collectively interpreted these lessons not that we that's, should have that's a, Right, that's how we've collectively interpreted it, and and so, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, I guess I've I've kind of arguing for let's not be too hard on ourselves because it, it, it sort of, it sort of is a, a necessary walk I think through yeah. the mud field to really appreciate, you know, a, a, a clean pair of a clean pair of boots or yeah or, or a nice cool shower you know or yep. Anyways, I'm I'm digressing. Sorry. No, I think that's I think that's spot on. So let me come back to my talk. Yep. And yep. So yep. You're so back so I'm talk. flying home and I'm thinking and I'm like, look, I've got a chance here to say something about how we can avoid being Pharisees. And 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 so I I wrote mm-hmm. that version of the talk. I'm happy to share it with anyone who wants to. So um, I've put it in the the notes to this on the webpage and I'll I'll link to it. But um, excellent. I had read Third Nephi eleven where, you know, Jesus says, this is my doctrine, and he repeats it several times. Faith in me, um, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost. Says it three times. But then verse 40 just nails it down. And he says, whoever adds or subtracts to this cometh of evil and is not built on my foundation. And I was like, well, you know, the, the question of what is doctrine is not that hard once you read this verse. And it's I think it's a stark warning to everyone. And he's I think he's saying, if you get away from this, you're going to, you know, you're going to take these other things that build around that, and you're going to you're going to do just what the Pharisees did. You'll you'll elevate them to a level that they were never meant to be, and yeah. so so that's what I said. I quoted Jesus. I quoted the the great quote from Joseph Smith about how the fundamental you know principles of Mormonism or the Apostles' testimony of Jesus Christ, and everything else is an appendage. So mm-hmm. I started off my talk by saying, like, first of all, I want to just put this thing in its proper place. It's not doctrine, it's not scripture. And I read And this this is in the context of the stake strength of you. Yeah. big you know pre right. youth conference. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's there. It's not like it's just in elders quorum. It's the whole stake's there. It's not the whole stake, it's in my ward. So it's my whole okay, ward, but, your, it, but but it's in sacrament. But, but it's everybody. Yeah. My, okay. my my bishop wasn't there and a few of my friends said that the the, I think the second counselor, our bishop, Rick, who's you know just a wonderful guy. I love them all. They're, they're great guys. But they, you know, their eyes kind of brightened up, and they were when I said this thing about how you know we can't make this scripture doctrine. And I, I was a little bit bold. I actually backed off some boldness in, in the final version. But I said like, when when we do this, instead of being a helpful guide and a useful set, of, you know, moral founding for us, when we elevate this beyond the doctrine of Christ. This pamphlet, and I raised, you know, I lifted it up and show everybody. I said this can become what the scriptures call a stumbling block to ex- mm. to accepting Jesus Christ. And I quote the quote from yeah. Elizabeth Smart, and then, and, and you know, another experience that I read online about a, a young teenage boy who was homosexual, who, you know, he had this, he must have had the same version of the strength of youth that I had growing up, and 
you know, he, he would just read and read that part about, you know, homosexuality. And he said that, you know, it, it led to suicidal thoughts in his life. Yeah, right. And, you know, that's, and I just want to say, like, you know, that's not the Jesus I'm reading about in, in Scripture. No, it's, yes, I agree. Uh, you, right. you had this wonderful uh, episode, I think, about, you know, John chapter 8, where the woman taken in adultery. This highlights this, you know, pharisaical approach, too, where... If you if you read um, in what Leviticus, there was a law about in the Moses law about stoning, yeah. although yeah. noticeably missing was the man. He's supposed to be there, um, and in, I see Jesus saying like, "Hold on a minute, like let's not let's not take these rules and laws and standards and forget who we are. We're worthy. Yeah. We're worthy of salvation, um, and we're you know we're whole and complete." And he says to the woman, "I don't condemn thee. Go and sin no more." And so we, we can begin to see sin not as this inherent deficiency within us, but sort of, I don't want to downplay it, but merely, you know, self-defeating behavior, sort of yes. stupidity, like stop being a bonehead and, and, you know, and be the good person that you are. Yeah. And so... Just, just good, good um, like, almost like common sense. Yeah. And so in the and, end, and I, yeah. in the end, I totally endorsed the For the Strength of Youth. I said, you know, I wholeheartedly endorse this to all of you. Uh, I was just sort of saying, like, let's, let's keep our, you know, heads on when we're thinking about it, though. And, well, what, yeah. what happened was my bishop wasn't there. And, you know, I guess a few people, like, kind of freaked out about how I said this and called my stake president. And I think he told, you know, my bishop to talk to me. And so yeah. I got called into my bishop and my stake president and had conversations with them. And I was sort of like, well, you know, what did I do wrong? And, um, yeah. and I don't want to, I'm not using this as a, as a platform to criticize them. I totally sustain them. They're lovely people. I just was thinking deeply about this as, you know, I was trying to, and I felt really strongly about it. And, you know, I sort of felt a little like, well, you know, what's the problem? What did, what did I do wrong? I'm, I know that I'm being doctrinally correct here because... Well, you know, right. when, when you quote Jesus and Joseph Smith, and there's not much wriggle room for interpretation, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty solid ground, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not bringing up <laughs> controversies of the past. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not right. talking the, you know, Adam-God theory or something here. It's... Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I didn't get it. And, I, you know, this was, you know, I was struggling with second half of life questions, and I have for a long time, you know. And, yeah. you know, I listened to other podcasts and... You know, here's where I want to praise Mormon Awakenings. A lot of other Mormon podcasts are sort of like, you know, they come up with this thing that is in history that they find and they reveal it. Maybe it's about polygamy or maybe it's about how yeah. Brigham Young ordained his 11-year-old son to be an apostle or something, you know. And, yeah, and which, which, is, which are all kind of strange. They're all strange. <laughs> they're definitely weird. And I'm going to talk later, hopefully, yeah. about how, to, how we should think about those things. But yeah. But, you know, at the end, I sort of just listen to those and think, well, that was helpful, but it, you know, I'm just left with the sort of, you know, I'm just bummed out. Yeah. And Mormon Awakings is not that way. It's, it's uplifting, and it's, you know, I, it's obvious from listening to you that you're, you're nuanced, you're aware of those things, you're thinking about things from second half of life sort of paradigm, and I've just felt, well, that's, found that's it so uplifting. Yeah, so uplifting and helpful. Well, well, thank you. That's high praise, and thank you. But let me come back. So one, you know, one night it was, I'd, I had already spoken with my bishop and, and he hadn't read the talk. And so I said, well, what, yeah. maybe you should read it first and, and then right. we'll talk. And he kind of came back after a couple of days and said, well, you know, maybe it wasn't the way I would have said it, but I don't really find anything wrong. And I said, yeah, okay. But, you know, yeah. I, I kind of took the chance to say like, you know, the counterfactual here could have been a lot better. You could have said, well, I know Tyler and he he yeah. he he's studious and cares about these kinds of things, and I doubt that, you know, that he was doing anything untoward. And no, maybe he did, but it, it definitely felt like the stake president <laughs> was saying, like, "Come, go correct Tyler," and and he was going to do that, you know. And but yeah. it was it was a, a a night or two or three before I was to go in and meet the stake president, and I was sort of wrestling with these things, like, and I and I don't want you know I don't want to overdo this. It's not a big deal. I know that people have been called in and corrected on much, much more important and deeper things. And so, you know, this was not a, you know, that big a deal. But I was pondering, like, my experience going in to meet the state president. I was sort of 
blowing myself up for the brow beating I was about to take. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad in, in retrospect. You know, I, I didn't, yeah. it was clear that, that he wanted to correct me. He didn't like what I said. Maybe he felt like it was in, in some way undermining his, his, you know, six month program at the state level and, yeah. and minimi- I'm, I'm trying, minimizing yeah. it. And yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, what exactly was the complaint? Was the complaint, um, not what they said, what the complaint was, but it's was the complaint that that you were sort of undermining the the emphasis and the importance they were putting on their six month program. I mean, were they so wedded to getting everybody rallied around this this hard charge? I mean, was that really the complaint? Do you think? I mean, in spite of what they were saying, because they may have been saying it, because it doesn't seem like at a that big you know, a deal. To get up and say, yeah. yeah, to get up and say, the strength <laughs> of youth is not the doctrine of Christ. It's yeah. you know, it's a program. And, and for, you know, there's something really healthy about acknowledging that because there's a lot of kids who think that way. Yeah. And it's nice for them to know that this is not life and death and, you know, give it your best shot. And if you if you can't do everything on the strength of youth, it's not the end of the world. You're, right. You know. So what, what do you think they were? Uh, well, I think what you just said would be true if I didn't live in Utah. You know, I, I'm here in the in the midst of the heart of Mormonism. And I think yeah. I think we use the word, you know, I was trying to give a very scriptural definition of doctrine what what jesus says in third nephi it's yeah it's faith in him repentance baptism holy ghost and we use the word doctrine very colloquially to mean sort of any official teaching and i think so one saying like this stuff that comes from the apostles that's you know signed by the first presidency isn't doctrine i think that that was what people were reacting to i think my stake president um I think, you know, I, I don't want to surmise, but I think he was, I, I think he did feel like I was undermining his authority undermining with his program. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I would hope that he would see me as, you know, supporting it and saying like, look, yeah. the For the Strength of Youth is awesome. We should be teaching it, but we should just make sure that we don't do any of the harmful stuff that the Pharisees do. Um, right. So, which, which is, gen, which is um, not an inconsequential matter, by the way, because totally. those are, yeah. those can be quite har- harmful when... Yeah. Particularly, you know, particularly for a, a kid that, you know, maybe thinks it's it's dumb, it's a dumb program, but they're still keen on the church. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot of that sort of stuff that happens when you're growing up. You're you're keen on the church, you like it overall, but but there's some, you know, you're not a Boy Scout. You think Boy Scouts is dumb, or you think <laughs> strength of use is dumb, and right. so you don't want to do that particular part. And yeah, but you and then you get sort of ostracized for being right you know, a little different. And I, I think that that can be difficult. Yeah. And it, to say the least. and it's not, it's not very Christian to ostracize that kid, right? <laughs> well, it's not very Christian. Yeah. It's not, you know, and, you, I, and, and at the end, and at the end of the day, becoming a, a, an Eagle Scout or, or, you know, checking off all the things in strength of youth, while those are good things, if you, if you don't achieve those things, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Right. I mean, I you still have all the potential you ever had and, yep. you know, you, Today's a new day, and you know what I mean. Right, I have a big confession. I was never an Eagle Scout, and you know they Uh-oh. they gave us all these dire warnings about how I'll never get a job because you know I can't put that on my resume, and yeah, I can. And that's s- heavy. That's a heavy burden. <laughs> didn't really about Eagle Scout. Didn't really affect my life that much, you know. I mean, I loved scouting, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know that award, you know, it didn't make a difference. But yeah, but you know. Um, so it was it was a night or two before I was supposed to go in with the state president, and I was just sort of feeling, I guess I would say I was just feeling kind of irked, a little bit angry that, that I was having yeah. to do this, and I couldn't sleep, and... I, and I could see how you would feel irked. It's, it's irksome. Yeah, it's, it's irksome. you know, not that big a deal in the end, right? I mean, I know people have dealt with much, much bigger issues than that, so like, you know, yeah. someone might say, well, I toughen up, bruff, you know, I, and, and, yeah. and I get that, but... But I, I couldn't sleep, and I, I got out of bed, and I went to my bookshelf. I have a ton of books. I'm a, my wife always complains about how many books I buy. But um, I had, when I was in uh, college, I took a class that was like a you know diversity course or something, and it was in world religions. We had this book, The World's Religions by Houston Smith, and I remember being fascinated by the, chap- oh. the chapters on Hinduism and Buddhism, and I had um, a really good friend in graduate school who was a Hindu from India, and he was, he was like this, um, just peaceful, calm, spiritual guru kind of guy, you know. And I just loved him. Mm. I just loved the guy. And so yeah. I had always had an interest in Eastern sort of religions, but 
you know, getting through grad school and getting through tenure and stuff like that. I didn't really have time to read. I I bought this book several years ago called Zen and the Art of Happiness by Chris Prentice. Someone had suggested yep. it to me, and it just sort of sat on my shelf. But, th- you know, for some reason I said, well, I'm going to read it. I picked it up, started reading, and I thought, well, maybe this will put me to sleep, and I can, you know, get up and go to work, and I'll go in and take my lashings from the stake president, and... <laughs> this experience will be done but yeah but the book just pulled me in from the very first chapter and it's just you know i don't know if it's it's um you know it does you're not going to become some scholar of buddhism after reading it but it really does i think a good job to explaining the ideas of buddhism from the zen perspective to sort of a, a western audience that isn't interested mm. in you know philosophy and history and and all those kinds of things we just want to know what's this thing about and and I just felt, you know, uh, drawn into this book. And it was saying things that were powerful, like we're powerful beings who determine our future. And mm. we can treat every moment that comes to us as a perfect moment given from this loving universe. And, and, mm. and you know, he kept talking about the laws of the universe. He didn't say karma, you know, but, but, mm. but he put it in this language that was totally accessible to my Mormon mind. Mm. And I... I again had what I would call a mystical experience. You know, I, it's not like angels came down or something, but I, I felt deeply connected to God, and mm. I, you know, light tears were streaming. I wasn't weeping or something, but light tears were streaming down my cheek, and I felt yeah. God saying to me, "Tyler, you're you're fine. You know, I love you. <laughs> I'm I'm aware of you, and you know, don't worry about what's about to happen." And it, it sort of helped me build, you know, and and keep building this process that I'd had over years of my own sort of inner spiritual authority and to, mm. and to say, it's okay to disagree on matters of speaking style with your Bishop and your stake president, you know, not a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in the end I went in for my interview and he, he sort of, you know, my stake president did sort of want to correct me, but I couldn't really figure out why he didn't want to have a discussion about doctrine because he, mm. he knew I was just going to quote 35, 11 verse 40 and go like, well, yeah. what does that mean? And, and, um, and, you know, then he sort of said at one point, like, well, I think you're just trying to show off and prove that you know this better than everybody. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know how you would know my motives. You weren't there. And he goes, well, yeah, we're not here to question your motives. And at the end I was kind of like, well, what am I here for? You know, like, yeah, but you know, in the end I said, look, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I don't really understand what the lesson I'm supposed to learn is. And I don't necessarily agree. In fact, today, if I were asked to give that talk, I would strengthen the rhetoric um, you come out bolder. Yeah. yeah, but but I hope they they see that as me, like just having you know a passion for the gospel and you know wanting to right. wanting to teach what's right, and that I do sustain them. I don't have to agree with them on everything. I was I was explaining this sort of thought process to a loved one recently, and I said I've got this little seven year old girl who's about to be baptized this summer, and I said mm. we should think about church authority maybe all the way up to the prophet, sort of like she does about my stake president. I doubt she knows his name. Yep. You know, she, she, she maybe recognizes that he's there. And it's an important that he's there because you can't have an organization without structure and leadership. Yeah. You know, you need it. I agree. it makes the, the meetings end on time and start on time. And we all, you know, can use the building at different times. But her, yeah. her direct experience of Mormonism is her Sunday school teacher teaching these beautiful songs about Jesus loves you and, you know the 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 someone from the stake primary came in and did this thing where they point at their temple and said, you know, God knows you. Put your hand over your heart. God loves you, and then point at the little kid, and you really matter. And yeah. I love that my little kids are getting taught that, and and they're getting it's beautiful. They're getting taught this beautiful part of Mormonism, and in in the background of that, you know, my little girl doesn't care or know that there, there's a stake president. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize his role. He's important. It's helpful. But that's sort of not the meaning of, of Mormonism is this hierarchical structure of authority. And, yeah. and that's helped me. That experience just totally helped me. But by the time I was done reading this Zen book, uh, I just felt this immense, I don't know how else to say it, this immense feeling of gratitude. Um, hmm. And I was connected to God. And the, the language felt so familiar. I was like, what is this? You know, and, and, and I and a thought came to me, this is B.H. Roberts. So I got out that book that I had read when I was 17. I've read it many, many times since. Um, 
which is the truth, the way, and the life. And there's several chapters in there where Roberts is talking about the the universal laws of the of of the of of all existence of the universe and God and everything. And and in particular, I found references to DNC eighty eight. So that night, mm-hmm. I got out DNC eighty eight, and I was like, "Holy cow! This Buddhism stuff is right here in our own Mormon scriptures." <laughs> you know this yeah. this expansive view of God. It's in, yeah. in particular, DNC 88, verse 41 and 50. I got on, BYU has this uh, general conference scripture index thing, and you can look up like who's quoted which scriptures across the years. Yeah. The brethren have carefully avoided verses 41 and 50. I think not since Ors- huh. Orson Pratt have those been quoted. So, it, do, do you have those handy for our, for our listeners? Um, so verse, well, the, the, so let me start in... In the first couple verses of the chapter, it's explaining how Christ is the light of the world and that he literally shines the sun, yeah. like, like he's shining the sun, and, um, which I want to come back to that phrase later on. Um, and then in about, you know, I think it's verse 36 or so is saying like everything, every kingdom has a law. There's no space in which there is no kingdom and no kingdom in which there is not space and all of that is governed by law. And Roberts has several chapters where he's expanding on this. Hmm. Um, you know, but then verse 41 is talking about God, and it says, okay, here, here's the quotation. He comprehendeth all things, and all things are before him. All things are round about him. He is above all things, he, and in all things, and is through all things, and is round about all things, and all things are by him and of him, even God forever and ever. And you get done with that verse, and you're like, well, what the heck does that mean, right? If, and, th- and that's verse 41. That's verse 41, and it's, yeah. like I said, it's been carefully avoided, and I think part of the reason is it starts to look like the god of Hinduism. It, you know, it does. Where it's, it, and it becomes very Eastern. But I think the point of that verse is if you're trying to understand that verse with dualistic thinking, good luck. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is a non-dual god that we're talking about here. He's in and above and around all things. Yeah, I think and it's a, it's a place where there's no time and right. and consciousness is everywhere. I mean, you start to see these non-Mormon concepts all totally. kind of dovet- dovetailing in and sort of making sense when they bounce off each other almost. Exactly. In verse yeah. 41, you know, it says that he sits on his throne and he's executing all things. Mm. And, you know, I I after this I began reading about the difference between pantheism and panentheism where there's still a distinction between God and the universe. But the way I read that is that the universe is literally an extension of God, that he's controlling yeah. it, but that it's part of him in a way. It's deeply connected. And yeah, that we like and, all, that, yeah. and that we are. I mean, when you think scientifically, the, the universe is filtering through me all the time. I think something like every, what, two years or year and a half, the, the, the material makeup of our body, like, Turns over. Oh, yeah, it turns over, right. Yeah, that's right. All our cells die and are replaced. Yeah, and and it's, you know, they come from the Big Bang, from stardust, and and so that we literally have God in us. So let me read verse 50 now. And it says, Then shall ye know that you have seen me, that I am, and that I am the true light that is in you, and that you are in me, otherwise you could not abound. And and I just felt this. I could close my eyes, and again, it was not like I, you know, I wasn't. It was not like I became Buddha and awakened under the bow tree or something. But <laughs> I, I had this marvelous mystical experience where I felt connected to God, and it's it just meant the, everything to me, and it gave me, it gave me exactly what I needed. It gave me strength, and it gave me permission to say, I'm going to reinterpret everything. That experience I had at age fourteen was just like what just happened to me. Yeah. And in the first particularly, half... Particularly in light of, of verse 41, where Jesus is the light. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and, you know, the experience was Jesus is the Christ, and, you know, Jesus has a light that yeah. is all-encompassing. Right. Um, that's, you know, quite quite beautiful, and something that you feel. Yeah. You know. Totally. And, hmm. and if you read, you know, connected scriptures like uh, section 29 and section 93, especially Abraham chapter 3, where we get this idea that we were in eternal intelligences, that God yeah. created our spirits, but that we were intelligent. To me, you know, I, 
there's debate about whether we were individual or some kind of collective. There's good evidence for both kind of ways of thinking, but that intelligence has to mean some kind of agency to me, right? Yeah, and it, and, it, and it becomes, you know, it, it really is a, it's sort of a quantum leap from, um, you know, the typical, I, I don't want to say typical Mormonism because it, it clearly is Mormonism. And, and, you know, Joseph Smith is the one propagating you know, 88, section 88. Right. So it's, but, but it's a very, um, there, there's a, there's a book, um, that was kind of dictated, channeled by this, this woman, uh, in New York course of miracles. I'm sure some of the readers have heard of it. You've probably heard of it, but it talks a lot about, um, and she, she, she's an interesting story. This, mm. I think it's Alice Shookman who, who channeled this book. So like automatic <laughs> writing. Yeah. It's kind of automatic writing. And, and she was an atheist and she was a she was a nurse, uh, and she was working at a hospital where nobody got along. And the leader of her, you know, her department um, wanted to think of ways where people could start getting along better. That that was the impetus huh. to it. And so yeah. she ended up over the next seven years channeling this book. And the leader of her department was her scribe, hmm. very Joseph Smith esque. But it but it talks a lot about Christ as uh, a being of light. Yeah. That were that were part of God. You know, there's there's a piece of us that is God. You know, we're we're not just connected to God, but there's sort of a piece of God in us, and yeah. that lo a lot of life is learning to shake off, not not shake off the ego, but to stop perceiving yourself the way the ego perceives itself. Right. That you that you and and, but then it says, you know, the reason you have an experience with the ego, and an experience of being in the dark. <laughs> is is it's you know through that contrast that then you can really appreciate what you really are because once you can see what you're not and yeah. you live for for a time in a way that you're not then you really um, appreciate and value understanding what you really are right. you know and so so that's why I kind of think well we you know we're hard on the church for preaching the deficiency model yeah. but it's hard to understand the wholeness model if you don't go through a time of life where you're deficient. Totally. You know no, what I mean? I, and I, it's weird. It's yeah. weird. And so I think that's what, you know, kind of what, what you're saying when you say, you know, it's a bummer to listen to all the criticism um, that we hear, you know, out in the, in the, you know, the blogger knackle or the, you know, Mormon media, however you want to think about it. Yeah. And I, I think part of it stems from this recognition that, you know, you, you're not going to understand how that you're a being of light until you, unless you live in a period where it's dark and it's, it's, it sounds heretical to say, Oh, there, there's going to be part of your Mormon life that, that will be sort of a dark period, but you got to go through that. And, and it's really a good dark. It's really a good period. Well, <laughs> you I, know, it's, I think it's it very weird and squishy. I think that's totally you know, a pattern. Like uh, I think it is too. It happened. I, I it happened with Buddha, right? Like, uh, what's the, yeah. what's the evil being in Hindu, uh, religion is Maya. Or I don't know who that, Mara that or whatever. Is. Anyway, it's it's basically the devil, right? And he comes and he yeah. tempts him, and and you know Joseph Smith had the same thing in the Sacred Grove. Had this dark period, yep. and that's what I love about the Sacred Grove story is you know yeah. he's gripped by darkness, and then he's you know he's overwhelmed by the light, and yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. And I, I think this gets this discussion gets us back to this you know non dualistic kind of thinking because. They're both there, and and they're, they're both, both there. They're both needed. You you need the one in your first half of life, and you need yeah. the escape from that in your second half of life to reinterpret things. And yeah. and it, it you know as I was pondering this, it kind of kind of began to blow blow my mind a, a little bit, and it, and it really was in a way a Mormon awakening. And that's I, incidentally this same week is the, is the week that I found your podcast and. I oh. think I think I binge listened to every you know every episode in over like two day period and like you know like <laughs> oh no sh shut down my life and didn't like work or to come out of the room I just sat there listening and going like this guy's awesome like this is exactly <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking that. about you know yeah and well that's that's very interesting what a you know it's kind of a synchronistic thing you know that that all kind of things all kind of line up totally which again goes back to this you know verse fifty. You know, God's everywhere, yeah. and, and God's kind of running things, and yep. all your, you know, they seem like coincidental or meaningless or mundane experiences. They're all kind of adding up to something yep. really beautiful. The, the central idea of that beautiful little Zen book is that 
you can learn to believe that every moment is perfect, that the universe mm. is perfect, and that it's all for your benefit. And I, I began to realize, you know, in the, in the early part of the book, he says, don't dismiss this because it sounds too easy. It's kind of like Moses lifting up the snake, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it would be easy to go like, come on, like, we all know that there are terrible things. And, you know, there was yeah, a whole Life's got to be hard and, and, and difficult. Exactly. Yeah. There was, you know, there's abuse. You know, we're, we're reminded of that this week with the whole Joseph Bishop thing going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's true. But I began to realize that so much of my stress and anxiety and frustration and difficulty, um, you know, dealing with impatience and anger was because... I'm fighting the universe, and here is mm. here is this beautiful view of God and the universe in which I'm embedded in it. What is it in the New Testament? You know, Paul says he's the God in which we move and live and have our being. And I never mm. understood that, and and you read DNC eighty eight, and it that's kind of literal. Yeah, like, literally, you're moving and having your being within God, and all we have to do is step back, close our eyes, be still, and know that He is God. And that's transforming. That's powerful. And, and I began to feel this exhilaration that, that I'm moving into some new, new experience with God. And, you know, at the same time, other beliefs that were, were important to me, that I held, that were cherished, they sort of started to crumble. You know, when you see that Brigham Young ordains his 11-year-old son to be an apostle, and, you know, what that implies about the way he and other leaders have seen that position... It's hard to have that naive view that Jesus is visiting the apostles every Thursday in the temple, you know? <laughs> right. And, yeah, and, and so probably nothing of, of sort of, you know, substantive value is crumbling away. It's sort of, you know... I, I think that's true. I don't want to call them fairy tales, but, but fairy, misconceptions... Fairy tales is probably, is probably a good <laughs> word for it, you know? Or just ba- bad perceptions, you know, that... You know. And I don't want to be I don't want to use fairy tale or myth or whatever in a pejorative way. I think myth serves a purpose. It's very helpful, yeah. and in, especially in the first half of life, it can give you yeah. a framework within which to live your life that's very safe. Um, yeah. let, let me read another scripture if I can. In Alma chapter forty-one, where um, Alma the younger is talking to his son Corianton, who's gone and he was on a mission, and you know went and saw the harlot Isabel or whatever, and committed fornication. Um, and I think, you know, there's this one verse, verse 10, which we read all, all a lot, which the last sentence is, wickedness never was happiness. Mm. But the next verse, verse 11, it just hit home with me. And it says, and now, my son, all men that are in a state of nature, or I would say in a carnal state, are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. They are without God in the world, and they have gone mm. contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. And with that view of God in DNC 88 and 93 in, verse 20, in, in, in section 29, yeah. we can begin to see what sin is. Sin is anything that keeps us from joining God, you know, uh, from, from being at one with Him and, and being, you know, that whole person that we are from the wholeness model. And it's totally right. revolutionized my whole view about everything. And it's almost as simple as, uh, no, that was beautiful, thank you. It's almost as simple as just realizing it. I think that's right, just waking up. Like we, right, we'll often use Alma 41 to say, therefore, you know, don't go, you know. Don't don't go doing, don't do immoral things. Right. If you you stop doing immoral things, then Then you'll you'll be be, be with God. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's hard to, on the one hand, I think, being, you know, immoral acts, selfish acts, they do keep us from God. I, I have no doubt of I that. I think that's true, yeah. But on the other hand, just just abstaining or, you know, n- not doing certain things is is kind of missing the point. There's this whole other recognition about, um, you know, your completeness and you as a being of light and, and you as a piece of God that, that I think you're right. You know, it is, it's so simple that you almost you're almost incredulous. You think, well, I can't, it can't be that easy right. as just believing it. But, but you know, another, you know, theme throughout the New Testament is Jesus just over and over and over just says, you got to believe. Yep. And he doesn't really say, believe in what? Yeah. You just, so, you know, at some point you just got to, you just have to believe. And the way I interpret that is you just have to accept, 
you know, the great Christmas gift that is, yeah. or you have to accept, you know, the, 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 the charity or the, or the help or the understanding, you just got to be humble enough to just accept it. And then boy, it blows, then it sort of blows your mind. Like you say, it's because it's so much more than just not, you know, sneaking away from camp at night and not fornicating with, <laughs> right. with Isabella, right. it, you know, and, and drinking and, a know, cup of you, coffee or something. Yeah. And you, you know, and, and uh, you know, and yeah, as you go down the line, you know, you can go crazy about this sort of mosaic adherence, yeah. but it's, it's just way more than that. Um, and it, you know, as, as you mentioned, you, you do sort of, you do, you do sort of need to understand the, and experience the dark to really appreciate the light. It just seems to be a, a pattern that goes, yeah. That repeats over and over and over in in all the religions and throughout our lives. It just seems to be that. Uh, I think that's right. And since this time, I've started reading folks like you know Alan Watts, and went back to my Houston Smith book, and you yeah. know I've begun to be able to see Mormonism as a part of what you know what people call perennial tradition or perennial philosophy or the wisdom yeah. traditions, and that's the wisdom traditions. Yeah, you know, without getting in fights about this doctrine or that doctrine, if you look at those underlying views of the universe and God, it's there. It's it's in common with everybody. It's what my yeah. Hindu friend believed, and it's yeah. what was being taught in this Buddhist book that I, the Zen book, that you know that that uh, you can accept the flow of the universe as this beautiful gift, even the things that we would take like getting called in to see your stake president getting chewed out you know i yeah. from from my perspective today i'm very grateful for this experience because it's helped me to wake up to say i'm my own authority i'm yeah. i'm going to be the one that that's you know if if there is some judgment day if i if i stand before god for for my life's time not anyone in the quorum of the 12 apostles or anything else it's me and and if you know yeah. if if they taught something that was crazy and i believed it then it's me that's accountable for it right yeah, alt, alt, that's right. Ultimately, we we kind of pack our own shoots. I think that's yeah. I think that's right. We're we're our own prophets in a way that, that we we're, have to. We're, be. Our own, we're our own prophets, and it's it's a little, you know, it's sort of it's a it's a scary um, it's scary to take that on. I think because you, you think, well, I I don't you know I don't want to be how, how can how can I be the grown-up in the room now. There's surely there are other, yeah, right. There are other grown-ups. <laughs> it is kind of terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is, but it's, but it's also, I think it can be a very, I mean, it is, it is extremely liberating because it's, um, it's nice to know that you don't have to categorically do what anybody tells you. You can consider it and, and think if it makes sense. And yeah, you know, it's good to be humble enough to, to know when people are making good sense and you're not. Yep. Um, on the other hand, it's it's good to be independent enough to to call, say, well, that, call BS you know, that once person, in a while. Yeah. yeah, call call BS once in a while, or say <laughs> that's a little crazy, or yeah. you know, look, strength of youth is a good program, but let's not go crazy. Um, you know, those are those are important things too. Yeah. Um, well, t- Tyler, we have talked for an hour and ten minutes. I have enjoyed every minute of it. So we've we've gone on far too long. We better wind this down. Perhaps we'll do a part two or three later on. But it's it's been a real privilege, Jack, to be on and to be a part of Mormon Awakenings. Well, it's been awesome having you, Tyler. Hope you found something interesting here today. If you'd like to share your Mormon Awakenings experience on this podcast as a guest. Please do contact me via email at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or contact me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Until next time.